Good morning. Happy New Year. We're so glad you're here. If you're watching online tonight, today, and actually I'm going to make a shout out to Joanne, Justin's mom. I heard you're going to be watching today, so I hope, to, hope you're with us this morning. And all of you out there, if you're new, uh, I'm Pastor Chris, a lead pastor in New Life. If you come every week, I'm so glad for each one of you and every one of you. Here at New Life, we actually celebrate New Year's twice every year. We celebrate in September because we know that many of you are students or have students in your families. And so the summertime is a time when you get to maybe go on vacation or go on a mission trip, kick back a little bit. And then September, the routine starts up because school starts up. And that's why we start a new message series for the whole year, every year. And this year it was Experiencing God Unreserved. Then this is the second new year. We just flipped over the calendar from 2019 to 2020. How many find that hard to believe? I'll tell you what, it seemed like it was just 2010. It seemed like it just was your Y2K, you know, and all of a sudden it's 2020. Anyway, uh, what we're going to do today is we're going to not talk about the New Year's resolutions that you're going to break by February or March, but we're going to talk about a new emphasis here at New Life that's based on our mission. And the mission we uh, have here, it's been here uh, since our 15th anniversary because we added a couple words, but it's this, um, to share, grow, and live the new life of Jesus Christ with the world one person at a time. And the new emphasis is called each one, everyone, are you ready to do whatever it takes? We capitalize one and we capitalize in, in each and in every because here at New Life, we have always focused on one person at a time. You are that person. You are that one person and all of us together, we're, so you are each one and all of us together are everyone. That's what this emphasis is about. And if you're here and you haven't yet trusted Jesus, as your Savior and Lord, then our goal is for you this year that you will, uh, that we will share the new life of Jesus with you and you'll receive it. And if you've already trusted Jesus as your Savior and Lord, then we're going to hope to grow and live in that new life that Jesus has given us. If you've ever read my book, A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Beach, you know that this whole idea of one person at a time came from an experience I had as a teenager. I was actually working as a nurse's aide in a nursing home, and I met Mrs. Robinson. Mrs. Robinson was in a wheelchair. So I asked the nurse, why is she in a wheelchair? Why, why, why can't she walk? And, and the nurse said, she can walk. But just one day, she just said, I'm not walking anymore, and she hasn't ever walked since. And so I made it my personal mission to get Mrs. Robinson to walk. So every morning, I would walk into our room. I'd say, good morning, Mrs. Robinson. Let's go for a walk. And she'd go, I can't walk. And I say, oh, come on. And I encourage her. You know, I say, let's just go for one step, just one step. That's all. And every day, every day, every day for weeks, I kept saying, good morning, Mrs. Robinson. Let's go for a walk. And one day I wore her down and she goes, okay. And she stood up and she took one step and she sat back down in her wheelchair. And the next day she took two steps and she sat back down in her wheelchair. Before long, Mrs. Robinson didn't need her wheelchair anymore. And a few months later, when I came back um, from college to visit at the nursing home, I went to Mrs. Robinson's room, and she wasn't there, and I was a little concerned. And the nurses said, oh, she's over on the other side. She's not in assisted living anymore. She's in independent living because she's doing so well. And in that moment, I thought to myself, I wonder how many Mrs. Robinsons there are in the world who are sitting in a wheelchair, either figuratively or literally, waiting for somebody to believe in them. And the thought that... <laughs> that that was the case stayed with me when we started New Life, which is why in our mission statement we have the focus on one person at a time. You see, we can't change the whole world. We can't reach everybody for Jesus in the whole wide world, but we can focus on one person. And, and right now I want to focus on the one person known as you and the one person, person known as I. 
you and I, and I don't mean as like you do you and I do me. I mean, let's focus on you and I as people who need Jesus Christ to be Savior and Lord in our lives and who need to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit so we can make it different in all those other people's lives so that one person at a time, we can help them to know and serve and love Jesus. So our take-home point is going to help us to see the impact when one person is added to another person and another person over time. And this is what it says. In the take-home point, in case you are new, it's the one point I'm making from the message from Scripture that we want to take home. That's why it's called the take-home point. Think about it, pray about it, live it out in the week ahead. So here it is. When each one invests our lives for Jesus, everyone experiences God. I want you to say that out loud with me. When each one invests our lives for Jesus, everyone experiences God. So when you and I invest our lives for Jesus, the people around us experience God. Now, I'm not saying each one of those people is going to trust Jesus, Savior, and Lord. That's up to them. Each one has to make that commitment for himself or for herself. But in our lives, as we live out our life in Jesus Christ, other people experience God. You've probably heard the saying, we're the only Bible some people will ever read, the only Jesus some people will ever see. And that's what it means that when each one invests our lives for Jesus, everyone experiences God. So some say one person doesn't make a difference. Look at history. If you don't think one person makes a difference, look at history because one person always makes a difference. Every time anything important has ever happened in history, there's been one person who had a vision, one person who had a belief that the world could be different, the world could be better, that there's a meaning and purpose to life that everybody needs to experience. That's always what happens. And I'm not saying that every person makes a difference, or at least all the difference they could make, but I want every one of you to understand something this morning. You matter because God, God thinks you matter. Jesus lived, died, and rose again because you matter. And you matter because God has given you, each one of you, a special gift, a special skill, a special ability that if you don't live out to the fullness that God created you to live it, people are going to miss out. There's, but when you do live it out, it makes a tremendous difference. What we're going to do right now is turn to the Gospel of Luke, one of the accounts of Jesus' life on earth, and we're going to look at how one person makes a difference. And before we do that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you think each one of us matters, that if only one of us had sinned, Jesus would still have come for us. God, I pray today that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit as we read your word, that you will touch our hearts, each one of our hearts, and all of us together, every one of us, so that we can serve you faithfully, so that we can love you more deeply, and so that we can show people around us what it means to experience God in their lives this year. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have your Bible, your Bible app, it's going to be Luke chapter 19. We're going to start in verse 11. We're going to read 17 verses, but we're not going to read them all at once. We're going to read them a few verses at a time, and we're going to see how each one is connected. Each of those verses or each of those short passages is connected how, to how each one of us is important. So it says this in Luke 19, 11, The crowd was listening to everything Jesus said. And because he was nearing Jerusalem, he told them a story to correct the impression that the kingdom of God would begin right away. Now, that Jesus was nearing Jerusalem is significant. This is the last time Jesus would come to Jerusalem. He would be arrested there, beaten, crucified. 
ultimately rise from the dead. But this was a significant time when Jesus came to Jerusalem. And Jesus, in this time when he's going to be crucified, wants to correct an idea that the Jewish people had. The Jewish people had the idea that the kingdom of God was coming right away. You see, many of them were praying every single day for the Messiah. They wanted the Messiah to come because they hated living under Roman rule. And so every single day they would pray, God, send the Messiah, send the Messiah, send the Messiah. And what Jesus wanted to help people understand is the kingdom, even though the Messiah had already come, the, the kingdom was not going to come right away. And so he's going to tell a story to illustrate this. Let's look at the story. Jesus said a nobleman was called away to a distant empire to be crowned king and then return. Before he left, he called together ten of his servants and divided among them ten pounds of silver, saying, invest this for me while I am gone. But his people hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we do not want him to be our king. So the nobleman probably is Jesus. Because Jesus went to a distant empire to be crowned king. The distant empire is known as heaven, and he's coming back. And when he went away, he entrusted his resources to you and me, to each one of you and to me. And you might be thinking, wait a minute, it just said there were 10 servants, only 10. There's hundreds of people here. How could you say that Jesus is the person who's the king and that we're the servants because there's only 10 in the story? Well, it's very simple. Because throughout the scripture, we are told that we are stewards or managers of everything God has entrusted to us. Our resources, our gifts, our abilities, our skills And he obviously is away, and he's going to come back. But the interesting thing is, it says in the story that the people (laughs) sent a delegation and said, we don't want him to be king. And there are people in the earth today that don't want Jesus to be king. I I mean, that battle has been going on forever. You know, who is going to be in charge of our life? And Jesus said, we can't serve two masters. We're either going to love the one and hate the other. We're going to be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then he said an interesting thing. He said, you cannot serve both God and money. And and Jesus is asking us today, what are we going to do with the resources that we've been entrusted to? In fact, let's make that a little more personal. Jesus has entrusted you with gifts, skills, and resources. What are you doing with them? What are you doing with the resources that Jesus has entrusted to you? So let's move on in the story. So after he was crowned king, he returned and called in the servants to whom he had given the money. He wanted to find out what their profits were. The first servant reported, Master, I've invested your money and made 10 times the original amount. Jesus is going to return someday. And he's going to sit down with each and every one of us and he's going to say, what did you do with what I left you in charge of when I went away? What, how did you do with the time, talents, treasure and touch that I have given you to invest? If you have much Bible knowledge, you know uh, what's coming. And even if you don't know anything about the Bible at all, you probably know what's coming if you think this king is reasonable because this guy took one pound of silver and turned it into ten. So here's what the master says to the first servant. Well done, the king exclaimed. You are a good servant. You have been faithful with the little I entrusted to you, so you will be governor of ten cities as your reward. Wow, what a reward, right? He took one pound of silver, made it into ten. He gets to govern ten cities. But before we talk about the reward... Let's talk about the master's assessment of this first servant. What does he say? The master said the servant was good and faithful. Now, when you sit down with Jesus someday, what better thing could you hear him say to you than you are good 
and faithful. I can't think of anything better than to be told that by Jesus. The servant's reward was governing 10 cities. That's an incredible reward for the, for the servant's faithfulness. And each one who is faithful with God's resources is going to receive God's reward. That's what it says. We see that when we turn to the next servant. Because it says in the story, the next servant reported, Master, I invested your money and I made five times the original amount. So the second servant also multiplied the original amount, not by ten times, but by five times. And the king responds, well done, the king said. You will be governor over five cities. Now, while the king didn't tell this servant he was good and faithful, we know that's implied because he gets the same reward. The reward is he gets to govern over five cities, not ten, but five, because he multiplied his gifts by five. And so God's reward, the master's reward in this case, is five cities. Now we turn to the third servant. And if you haven't heard this story before, the story is going to take a turn. It says the third servant brought back only the original amount of money and said, Master, I hid your money and kept it safe. I was afraid because you are a hard man to deal with, taking what isn't yours and harvesting crops that you didn't plant. So notice that the third servant didn't lose his master's money. He came back with the same amount. He had one, and when the master came back, he had one. And uh, he also started giving excuses for why he didn't do anything with the money. He was afraid. The master was a hard guy. I mean, he took stuff that wasn't his. He, he, he took crops that he didn't even plant. And so he said, because of all that, I decided I would just bury your money, and here it is. So here's how the master responds. And I'm going to have to say this really loud. You wicked servant! Because it says the king roared, okay? I'm not going to roar the rest of the time. But anyway, um, your own words condemn you. If you knew that I'm a hard man who takes what isn't mine and harvests crops I didn't plant, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then turning to the other standing nearby, the king ordered, take the money from the servant and give it to the one who has 10 pounds. So we see the situation. The master takes this third guy who, who took one pound of silver and turned it into one pound of silver. He didn't lose it. And he says, you're wicked. Now, I have to explain the word wicked in this culture because wicked in this culture can mean awesome, right? The same way as dope can mean good. Like when I grew up, dope was a bad thing, you know, and if you say you killed it, that means you did something good, not that you, you know, took somebody's life or anything, okay? So evil is what wicked means. You evil servant. You are basically took what I gave you and didn't do anything with it. So we can tread water in our lives. We can do nothing with what God gave us, and we can say, you know, at least we didn't lose anything. But the master isn't going to look at that with kindness. In fact, what he said at the end was, take that one pound of silver and give it to the guy that has ten And the servants who hear this offer a complaint. They say, but master, they said, he already has 10 pounds. You see, he already has 10. Why are you giving him the the one that the guy only has has one? The rest of the servants thought it was unfair for the king to take away the one pound and give it to the guy that already had 10. He had worked diligently to turn his one into 10. And so the master, thinking wisely, says, well, I'm going to take it and give it to him. He's going to make more. But that isn't the way we think so often. How often we watch others who work diligently and we say, well, what about us? What about our needs? It isn't fair that he has so much. But how the king responds is illuminating. He says, yes, the king replied, and those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. 
And as for these enemies of mine who didn't want me to be their king, bring them in and execute them right here in front of me. So Jesus set forth a crucial principle for our lives. Each one who is faithful with what is entrusted will receive even more. But each one who does nothing will lose even what he has or she. So remember our take-home point? Remember I said when each one invests our lives for Jesus, everyone experiences God? You and I have been entrusted with so much. When Jesus returns, he's going to sit down and he's going to talk with us and he's going to ask us, what did we do with all those resources, with all those talents, with all those skills, with all those abilities? What did we do with them? How did we respond to his charge to take what he gave us and to invest it for his kingdom? You see, Jesus expects you and me to invest our lives and resources in advancing his kingdom um, in the world. And the thing is, we don't all start with the same thing. In this story... They all started with one pound of silver. But in Jesus' other parable of the talents, which is in the Gospel of Mark, they started with different amounts, five, two, and one, each according to their ability. So we have different, we start out with different amounts. And here's the thing. When Jesus sits down with me, he's going to judge me based on what? On how I stewarded being the lead pastor of New Life. When he sits down with you, he's going to judge you based on whether you were a stay-at-home mom or dad or a mill worker or a teacher or a student or any of hundreds of other things. And the question is, how are you investing your life for Jesus, your master? If you're thinking, Jesus isn't my master, well, that's fair. If Jesus is not Savior and Lord in your life, this parable really doesn't apply to you at this moment. It only applies to those of us who have already said yes to Jesus. If we've said yes to Jesus... As Savior and Lord, that means he gets to tell us what to do, and he told us to take the resources he gave us and use them and multiply them for his kingdom to grow so other people will get to experience God. And as we move into this new year, my challenge is for each one of us, each one of us, each one of you and me, to take whatever gifts that God has entrusted to us and use it to God's glory and honor for the advancement of his kingdom in the world. In the next several months, we're going to focus on prayer, giving, and the Holy Spirit. And as we do that, our goal is to equip you and us so that we can be effective stewards, managers of all God has entrusted to us. The first thing we're going to talk about, as Pastor Brad said, is prayer. This is the Connect booklet. If you got it last week, then you can start using it tomorrow. If you didn't get it last week, then one of the ushers will be glad to give it to you as you walk out of the worship center today. And inside is a 21-day plan for how we can pray together. In, in each of the weeks, there's going to be a focus. And the first one is a personal focus, how we can grow deeper in our walk with Jesus. And then we're going to have a focus on mission and all the missionaries that we support here at New Life. And the third week, we're going to focus on um, the ministries of this local community and how we serve together. And as each one of you participates in this, and I would encourage you to come Monday to Friday, you know, 6.30, 7.15. But if you can't, you can do it any time of the day, every day. And as you do that, God is going to multiply our prayers. And we're going to see, we're going to see things happen that haven't happened here at New Life before. So I've always believed this. I've always believed that each one of us here at New Life is going to become everyone. And each one of you is going to do everything that God created you to do so that we can see God do stuff here in Saxonburg, in our region, in our nation, and in our world that nobody here has yet imagined. But I can't do that. I can't bring that to, to happen. 
Each one of you can, though. Each one of you can become the one who ultimately becomes everyone. And that's why today's next step is, I will invest my life for Jesus this year. Notice, our next step is usually just for a week. But this is for all year. It says, I will invest my life for Jesus this year. 2020 can be the best year of your life if that means that everything you are and everything you have is used to show him love and to advance his kingdom here in the world. But each one gets to decide, then commit, then act. That's always the way it is. You hear the message, and you get to decide. Am I going to do anything about that? And then you, maybe in your heart, you have a commitment, and you say, yes, I'm going to do something about it. But commitment has to lead to action. Decide, commit, and then act. And you, can, you and I can always spend our lives on whatever. Remember the, the, the servants? In fact, we, there were ten servants. We only hear about three of them. Two of the servants thought their master was a wonderful master, and they multiplied their master's stuff. But one of them just sat around and did nothing. He treaded water, and when the master came back, the master wasn't so happy. So when we see Jesus someday, we get to determine. We get to determine how that conversation goes by how we live our lives here and now.